What's up, guys? It's Harrison at Twitch underscore 35 on Twitter, and you are listening to another episode of Lecture Hall presented by Student Union Sports. This week, we've got another interview for you. We're on a little bit of a heater interview-wise. We got Steve Peralt last week, and we have Jay Hay, the producer of Starting Nine on this week. Before we get to the show, uh, I just want to go off and uh, give you this week's syllabus you know since this is lecture hall we figured we should have a syllabus for you before you get into the lecture weekly syllabus is just uh, some sports headlines that we feel like we should mention but not really elaborate much on uh we've got the washington redskins announcing that they're going to be retiring the redskins name you can read about that on studentunionsports.com we've got bubble news in the nba as players are moving into the bubble some are still testing positive they're quarantining people for ordering postmates you have to quarantine an extra six days if you want food delivered to your hotel not even going to get into the awful food that they're serving them at their hotel i'm sure we'll elaborate more on this on next week's lecture hall uh the nhl is finally moving to their bubbles getting ready to relaunch and we have the midsummer classic also known as opening day now in baseball is uh like 10 days away Uh, we've got a good one for you with jay hay Before we get into the actual show, I've got to tell you, if you're having problems with your beard being itchy or too dry, the ladies just aren't loving the look, you need to go to GibbsGrooming.com. tell you, Gibbs has it all. They keep my beard nice and hydrated, nice and moist, itchy, scratch-free, keeps me looking and smelling good on a daily basis. They've even got some hair pomade that keeps my hair styled all day. I can go out, it's 95 degrees in Michigan, nothing but humidity, and my hair stays in perfect place because of Gibbs. If you want to get some Gibbs, you go to GibbsGrooming.com, use code HALL15, H-A-L-L-1-5, and you get 15% off your order. I'll say it one more time, HALL15, H-A-L-L-1-5, for 15% off your order. All right, guys, class is in session. Let's get to the show. Now for one of our fantastic guests, we've got like a little bit of a heater going on. Uh, last week, Steve Peralt. Now we have another producer. We have my guy, Jay Hay, <laughs> from the Starting Nine podcast, the producer. How's it going, Jay Hay? Hey, it's great to be here. Um, I didn't. I actually didn't realize I was following Peralt. Um, I guess we'll continue with the interview anyway. Um, <laughs> but no seriously thank you for having me oh thank you for coming on you are like my guy you are the analytical voice the voice of reason when it comes to starting nine when you do share your your opinions on it's a low bar yeah (laughs) yeah dallas and jared you you know not a whole lot of brain cells cooking in the kitchen (laughs) not not (laughs) left not left at least (laughs) yeah for maybe at one time 
Oh man, that's the kind of thing that I was hoping to get out of out of you is just some serious slander. We're looking for headlines, you know. We're not big enough yet. I don't know. Last yeah, week we went we'll looking for headlines, and I think Steve hates us now. So, yeah, <laughs> sweet. The one, the one person like like my like my like go get them interview is is gonna hate us after this. But I guess you know, hey, one and done, like Cal Perry. So. <laughs> Anyways, we got some baseball to talk about. We have been talking baseball for a while. We are 10 short days from Midsummer Classic opening day here in our crazy world of 2020. Um, A lot of things are going on. More players, uh, Jay Hay. Obviously, you guys have, I'm sure Jared shares uh, with you guys, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff, who, what he hears. I know I saw uh, Jordan Hicks, uh, pitcher for the Cardinals. I didn't realize he was type one diabetic, but he is another one who opts out. Um, what is your optimism? Because, like I said, you, I mean, you and you produced on ESPN. That's you. Do you, Kurt? You still? No, do that no. I, uh, I have a a full time job outside of outside of what I do for starting nine. I kind of just do that uh, in a freelance capacity at this point, but. Um, no, I do, I, I do no longer produce uh, for ESPN, but uh, did that for quite a while and have worked in and around baseball now for uh, over a decade. Insanity. Anyways, uh, Hicks, Hicks gets out, so I'm sure you've heard from a lot of people. What yep. is your – if you had to give me a percentage, uh, what do you think the likelihood of the season with 10 days to go might just get suspended with more just – you know, we've had a couple smaller names. Now I feel like we're we're headhunting the younger, like more like actually versatile, like interesting players. Um, what do you think the likelihood percentage-wise the season that we actually play the full season? Um, I mean, I think I'm I'm kind of right around where I have been consistently on the pod. I think in terms of the likelihood. I, I mean, I think we're going to play this season. Um, whether it gets, and I do think, I do think we will get to the finish line. I don't think people dropping out of the podcast or uh, dropping out of the season like Jordan Hicks and stuff like that. I don't think it's going to be. I don't think that's tilting it one way or another. I guess is the is the easy way to say it. Like I think you've heard Mike Trout express some level of doubt. Um. I think him, somebody like him pulling out of a season would, it would do incredible PR damage. Uh, but I, I don't even think an individual player pulling out, I don't think there is a player in baseball that's capable of, uh, of shutting the season down permanently. I, th- I think that's interesting too. Um, because what obviously Trout has like, uh, like, you know, he's not just, you know, been in quarantine and then been, you know, just doing his thing. He's obviously got a, a pregnant wife at home and all that kind of stuff. So it can definitely be a, um, a sticky slope for anybody. I think it'll be interesting, too, because this is the first time that um, I know you guys on starting nine have covered how like baseball as a regional sport, you know, you don't really care about too much outside of your division unless you're truthfully like indulged in the season and are like that, you know, one in, you know, one in a hundred diehard baseball fan. Um, I think this year more than any, and I'd like to get your opinion on this, like 
with how we're doing like the East with the East central and the central for interleague. And then the West and the West, it kind of like, it takes those like Midwest, Southwest, West States, Northeast and combines it into like those seaboards. If that would, if how much that can like grow the game or do you, or do you think it's still just so regional that it won't, it won't make a difference at this point? Well, to me, it's not uh, my reaction to seeing the way that the schedule was going to be laid out wasn't so much like the the way the matchups are breaking down that's going to grow it. To me, it's a situation where, like, for all the people who have com- complained that the season itself is too long, 162 games is too much time to invest in your team, certainly too much time to invest in a league as a whole and try and follow more than just the team. Uh, It's too long for a fantasy season for those of us who play fantasy, all of that stuff. I mean, this is like the reason we're here is unfortunate, right? The reason it's a 60-game season sucks. Um, But this is now an opportunity to see, okay, can we grab the attention of some people who may not have been invested in six-month-long seasons or seven-month-long seasons uh, in the last couple of years. To me, I'm kind of interested. I've been obviously a fan of the game my entire life. Uh, I'm hoping that there will be more 162-game seasons in my future. But for one season, I'm I'm interested to see how a 60-game season plays out. And to your initial question, I, I am also interested to see how the – I mean, I know how the matchups and the schedule is going to play out. Like, we're just more limited in the number of teams that you get to play. Um, but I think it will be fun seeing how – you know, the relative strengths of schedules and both in terms of home and away and travel uh, distance and all that sort of stuff. And just the fact that some teams are going to end up playing much more difficult schedules than other teams, um, depending on which division you're in. I think that's all going to be interesting to break down uh, and doesn't help to legitimize the season. Always you want as fair as possible, but um, as a one-off uh, I'm, I'm really interested to see how this experiment plays out. What's the what's the limbo bar, if you will, the amount of games, the lowest that you think you would be interested in in a full major, like to consider a full major league season? Like, I like you know a lot of talk is like one fifty six, one forty seven. That's that's just cutting off the last two weeks of the. So season are you saying? Or, you know, are you saying off. like like changing the structure of baseball moving forward? Like, would I like to see a one hundred and fifty four game season moving forward? Or are you saying like? with what we're working with now, what's the minimum number of games to consider it like a real season? Um, I mean, I, I'm open to both. Like my, I guess my, my, uh, what I was going for is like, what would you to like for that elongated period, uh, like for your attention span, is sure, there, sure. What, how low would you go? And, and then please answer the second, the second one as well. Yeah. I mean, I think so for the second one, I think we're, we're right at that spot. Um, like I'll be interested in a season regardless of how long it is. Uh, you know, they could do a 25 game season and, uh, for various reasons I would be invested. Um, but a 60 game season to me, um, was like when the world series, when the world series happens, if the world series happens, whoever the world series winner is, I'm going to look at that person or that team as a world series winner. Um, it'll, we can discuss, how it happened, 
whether it's more or less impressive than winning in a traditional season, all of that stuff. And people will have their opinions. But to me, like the, the asterisk conversation, like we don't need asterisks in baseball, whether that's talking about Barry Bonds or talking about a 60 game season, you just talk about the season as it exists and people can, can deduce from there. Right. To some people, it's going to be a more impressive accomplishment. I guarantee you because of the circumstances under which these players are playing. And I think that's a, there's real merit to that argument. Um, but uh, yeah, so that, that, that kind of addresses the second question or the first question. Like I, I'm fine with 162. I'm fine that a baseball season by and large takes up like eight or nine months of my year. Um, and in some senses, all 12. Um, but <laughs> you know, if they, if they decided that for various reasons starting the season in mid-April made more sense going forward, um, I mean, I, I don't think I don't think that's a tragedy if it went back to 154 games or something like that. Um, you know, again, people talk about the record books, and I'm I'm sympathetic to that, but baseball is at a point with its history where we're we're very capable of of assessing seasons within the context of baseball history, whether it's the same number of games or whether it's a juiced ball or whether it's, uh, you know, before black people were allowed to participate in the sport. You know, we've, we've got people that can break this down and analyze it. Yeah. I mean, and you're one of those guys I love. That's why I'm so intrigued. (laughs) No problem. That's, that's why I'm so intrigued by you. And I love, I love what you bring the starting nine is because I am a numbers person. I can't, read or write to save my life but I, I love numbers and dissecting what they mean uh, because they're, they're somewhat you know obviously now with the way that analytics works you they're a, a little more grayed if if you will in their definition but um, you know the, the counting stats and that kind of stuff I love the numbers that a story can tell um, and I want to move the schedule the portion into one of the things that like I I think or one of the things that I believe in as far as the, the seasons go is um, we talked about Tr- uh, Trout and his, the, you know, still up in the air season availability. Um, I want to get your take on what you think uh, his chances when he's done to be the unequivocal, you know, it's not going to be, you know, an MJ LeBron debate if per se for baseball. I want to know how likely you think it is that he would become uh, once he's done given, you know, barring no injury kind of thing, which obviously he has issues with, but what, what the possibility is that he is the greatest baseball player. Obviously we have hundreds of years, you know, a hundred and almost 50 years of baseball history to go look at. Um, But if you think he's the greatest to this point, because I personally believe that like, Obviously, you can say as as much as you want about his fielding and how he's played to also help the war number, which is one of those gray area numbers that I was just saying about. But um, what what do you think those chances are that we look at him and go, yeah, that is the guy, that he is the best, put the go ahead on his face? So I think what's interesting about the baseball goat conversation as opposed to other sports is that I I feel like in baseball – the present day player is going to be given the benefit of the doubt in the conversation. And I feel in particular, the NBA, that's obviously never the case, right? I mean, it doesn't like right now when, you know, you got the LeBron MJ thing, 
uh, I think the past, the ghosts of the previous players are given the benefit of the doubt. That was true when MJ was making his case when he was being compared to MJ and Bird and that kind of stuff. But with baseball, um, I think it's a little bit different because, you know, the guys that Trout is going to ultimately be measured against uh, when talking about a GOAT conversation are, I mean, we, everybody on this podcast knows them. It's Babe Ruth, right? Yep. It's Willie Mays. It's Barry Bonds. And to some, it's also probably Hank Aaron. And I think that last one is a stretch, so we're just going to work with those first three, Babe Ruth, Willie Mays, <laughs> and Barry Bonds. I think those are the names that he's going to be going up against. And when you consider that, I think for a variety of reasons, he's actually got a pretty decent shot at being the consensus. There's always going to be people who are arguing, but the consensus number one, if you look at it from a numbers perspective, he basically needs to double and wins above replacement is not the end all be all, but we'll get into some other numbers. He basically needs to double his war total to get to where Willie Mays is right now. And I think Willie Mays is the guy to watch because from a pure number accumulation standpoint, it's going to be extremely difficult for anybody to catch what Babe Ruth accumulated in his career from a batter and pitcher combination standpoint. Like obviously Mike Trout's never going to pitch for the first four or five seasons of his career. Right. Um, so I think Willie Mays just, and then Bonds, whatever. I, I was a Barry Bonds fan as a kid. I think his statistical resume is probably the most fun thing to look at in baseball history. But there are always going to be people who detract from his accomplishments because of the PED stuff. And so when you look at the fact that Babe Ruth played pre-integration uh, and in an era where nobody would dispute that the game is in a more athletic, more difficult place currently, um, and then you look at the fact that Barry Bonds is associated with performance-enhancing drugs, it's to me, it's a it's it's gonna be a Trout Willie Mays conversation, and he has to, as I said, he has to double his wins above replacement, but he's ahead of Mays's pace at the same age. Um, even if, by the way, Trout plays no baseball games this year through eight, this is his age twenty eight season. He could accumulate no stats whatsoever and be ahead of Mays's pace through age twenty eight. Um, Trout, even though he's not stealing at the pace he used to, he has a very good chance, health permitting. And even if he isn't that healthy, he probably still has a really good chance of getting to 600 homers and 300 stolen bases. There have only been 303 people to do that. Uh, A-Rod, Bonds, and Mays. Again... Give me the nugs, Jay. Hey, feed them yeah. to me. <laughs> Again, nobody is ever going to argue that A-Rod is the greatest player of all time, even though he's probably one of the 10 best position players ever from a statistical perspective. Um, so you can move him to the side. And then it starts to become clear that even if Trout enters into something of a decline phase in the next two or three or four seasons, and I would assume that his decline phase will be pretty gradual given the heights that he's reached as a player, um, I do think you're going to get to a point where you know, he's at 120, 125 wins above replacement, and we can start to have a real conversation about, is this actually the greatest baseball player ever when you consider the era that he's, the era that it's, he's accomplishing it in? Um, and then, not to ramble, but I think the baseball goat conversation is also the only one that doesn't really care whether you won a title or not. Um, 
and I think fairly so, right? Like it's a, you're one dude on a 25 man roster and you can only pitch or hit for the most part. So we all understand why it's different if you're a quarterback or different if you're the central star on an NBA team. Um, right. But Bonds didn't win, as we all know. Um, you know, Willie Mays won, but it's not like he's one of the greatest winners World Series wise in league history. Um, Babe Ruth obviously won as well. But um, yeah, so to me, I think obviously Trout performing in the postseason would enhance that resume and would probably be, help him make up. I, I don't think he's going to beat those guys in wins above replacement purely. So he's going to have to have the case as this is the most modern player. This is the guy who did it in the most difficult era or whatever. Um, and here's his postseason success is the long answer. Yeah. I love, I've, I love the long answer. I love, I love everything you're feeding me. All, all those hot nugs coming off the stove. Yeah. I mean, just looking at the numbers um, purely for this sake, uh, is he's at 72.8. So if you call him an eight, which is an MVP level, which obviously we know he's clearly a most valuable player since you could argue that he could have basically five at this point, uh, contrary to the three that he currently owns. Um, he would need another MVP season, which given a full year, I mean, he's done it. He had an 8.2 last year and this basically April to August. And then he's had two seasons of 10 and a half and then basically five of his nine seasons. And you can take out his 19 year old rookie season for the 135 play appearances that it was worth. So essentially over half of his seasons, he's played at an MVP pace. Um, obviously team has everything to do with winning, like you mentioned, but um, as well, but yeah, his war, he, he could add another eight MVP season. And then he's in the top, I believe he's like 37 overall, and that puts him at 80, which then he needs basically he needs double uh, to reach bonds in those heights. So I think I, I just think that like I put probably a lot of stock in the like him hitting 99 in the seventh inning on or even sixth inning on. I mean, really, I mean, if we're telling the full truth throughout the entirety of a baseball game now, very rarely, you know, probably three out of the five days you're seeing uh, a pitch at least above 97, uh, probably three out, or, well, probably five out of the seven days for a majority of the nine innings. Obviously, it was, that takes yeah, – Sorry to cut – I didn't mean to cut you off. Um, no, no, go ahead. I, it was – I when I did work at ESPN, I remember having a conversation with Barry Larkin, who's obviously in the Hall of Fame and a – pretty damn good baseball player and it was eye-opening to hear him talk about like how he said that if he was playing right now like and he could feel it coming towards the end of his career when he was kind of winding down he said like the velocity in the game now one through nine in terms of one through nine innings is completely different than it was in the uh, early 90s, mid 90s, you know, when Lark when it was in his prime. And it was just like, I think we all intuitively know that. Uh, and the numbers and the numbers certainly back it up. But it was interesting. Most of the time you hear uh, Hall of Fame caliber players say, oh, you know, back in my day, uh, such and such, it was it was the greatest period. It was the hardest we had at the hardest. This is the greatest era. And to hear a Hall of Famer say, I'd probably get, you know, my shit blown back playing now was was as i said eye-opening breaking news sorry to interrupt folks but we have an important message to tell you 
What's up, everybody? It's your boy, Big Hop, a.k.a. Beastie Hops, a.k.a. The Connection Kid, here on Lecture Hall. I gotta talk to you folks about Gibbs Grooming for a second. Gibbs, lately, I've been using all the products. I use the Biofuel Conditioner. I've been using the BHB, the 3-in-1 Beard Hair uh, Shampoo Body Wash deal that they got. Absolutely fantastic, making me smell great. Using the beard oil, I've been using, I don't know, the Colorado Kid Beard Oil. Smells great. Gives a little bit of that rustic smell that the ladies love. Girlfriend has been all over me lately because of it. And guess what? You guys can have your ladies all over you as well. If you go to Gibbs Grooming, Gibbs, G-I-B-S Grooming, G-R-O-O-M-I-N-G.com, you can put in the promo called Hall 15. That's H-A-L-L-1-5. Once you're done shopping, put that in. You'll get 15% off your order. All right, 15%. You People are just handing this out. We're handing this out. Other people not able to hand this kind of stuff out. Get your beard oil. Get your pomade, whatever you need to make yourself feel and look more like a manly man that the ladies will love. Okay, get your lady to love you. If things have been if things have been a little bit stale recently, pick up some Gibbs. Go online, get you some Gibbs at gibbsgrooming.com. All right, use Hall fifteen. That's H A L L one five. One more time, Hall fifteen to get fifteen percent off your order. Your order, make your lady start loving you again, guys. All right, back to Jay Hay. Part of that, like with uh, how like, hard pitchers throw now and how much better I think pitchers are getting than they used to be, is when we talk about that baseball goat conversation, no one ever mentions any pitchers. It's just purely yeah. offense. And I almost think that if you're going to crown baseball goats, like you have to split it into two categories. Yeah. And you can't have a purely greatest baseball player of all time. You have to have two greatest players and you have to have one purely offensive and then you have to have a pitcher because you could argue that starting pitching is almost oh it's probably more important in my eyes than having like a Mike Trout in your lineup you need a pitcher who can mow down guys and because like if you don't give up any runs you only have to score one you don't need a Mike Trout to score one run so like then you have to start looking at guys like Nolan Ryan Roger Clemens um, even uh, I don't know. I would put or at least early Kershaw on that list as well. Yeah, no, I think your point's well taken that uh, it really is two separate conversations. Um, and, you know, it's the, the greatest pitcher conversation is in many ways more challenging to have than the greatest position player conversation because the, the statistics are even more skewed, right? Like you have the players at the, at the turn of the century – uh, and through the first few decades, logging 300, 350, sometimes even 400 innings in a season, whereas now even the best of the best are, you know, maybe a handful of guys break 200 in a given season. So that becomes even more challenging to compare eras. But uh, I think you're right that um, not even early Kershaw. I mean, I think you can just view Kershaw, the entirety of his career on its own merits and say that you know, we're, we're witnessing one of the greatest pitchers of all time. Um, he's not going to end up with the quantity that some of the other greatest pitchers have, but I think you can say that some of those greats also didn't match his heights. Um, and, you know, me personally, I grew up as a baseball fan in the 90s. I was born in 1985, and I was fortunate enough to, 
to witness literally three of the 10 greatest or uh, four of the 10 greatest pitchers of all time between Maddox. Glavin, Smoltz. No, I mean, not even Glavin. Like, that's, that's how ridiculous it was. Not even – like, Glavin is, what, like a top 30, top 40 pitcher. Smoltz is probably in the same ballpark. That's like fair. Maddox, no. Unit, Pedro, and Clemens uh, were all in their primes in the 90s. And, I mean, by any, by any measurement almost, that's four of the 10 greatest pitchers ever, and they were contemporaries. So, um, yeah, yeah. Even, though the, even though the quantity isn't the same, it's cool that we've, we've gotten to see. And then, you know, you obviously view Verlander and Scherzer alongside Kershaw in terms of that era. And, you know, we're really getting to see some high-level pitching uh, in the last couple of generations. So you gave yeah, I was a, top three, your top three offensive guys and the baseball goat being yep. like the offensive goat being uh, Babe Ruth, uh, Hank, or you said Hank Aaron was four, but uh, Willie Mays and uh, Mike Trout. So if you had to give your three pitchers for that same conversation, who are those three guys? Uh, it's, it's an interesting question. Um, I think – let me uh, let me pause let me pause a bit here before I just give you an off the cuff answer. I think let me I can fill I can fill the void with one thing because I I think Randy's on this list and he, I was looking at his numbers uh, the, earlier this afternoon. Here's here's something insane about Randy. Uh, he debuts at age 24, so like a late bloomer by today's standards. And I mean, in the late 80s, you could maybe argue the same as far as, and especially as far as like all time greats go. But he shoves his foot so far up people's asses in the late 90s and in the late in the early thousands. He has, uh, let's see, one, two, three. It's three 20 win seasons, and two of them came at eight. He had two of his three back-to-back seasons uh, at age 37 and 38 when he uh, also led the uh, league in ERA with a sub-2.5, his highest being a 2.49, pitching, uh, just missing one out to reach 250 innings and pitching, then leading the league in 200 with 260 in the other, and then having 372 and 334 strikeouts. He's a fucking anomaly, like, especially – as you like debate age. And I was like, so blown away to see that some of his better seasons come, <laughs> come so late in the career. Well, yeah. And I think, so, so two of those guys are, I think are in the conversation that are Randy Johnson, as you said, and Roger Clemens. Uh, and I, I think you hit on one of the things that's interesting, which is that the trajectory of their careers is, extreme odd unique both of those things um you hit on the fact that i mean randy johnson spent a good chunk i mean first of all didn't debut until he was 24 years old which in and of itself is pretty odd to then proceed to build a hall of fame pitching career uh, most of those guys debut a little bit earlier but his best seasons all occurred really in his 30s um, or yeah, if pretty if much you, 29 on, yeah, I was going to say, if you want to include that age 29 season, which you probably should, um, all of his best seasons came from that point forward, uh, for Roger Clemens, you know, we can speculate about the timing of PED usage and stuff like that, but he had an incredible run in his mid twenties. He then fell off. He then had an incredible run in his mid thirties. Uh, you just don't see a guy go decades or a decade essentially in between Cy Young wins. Uh, and win one at age 41 while also winning one at age 23. Um, I mean, I think the 
so let's go back to the original question. Who is the top three, four pitching goats of all time? I think the easiest answer to include here is Walter Johnson. Um, I know he's an old timey guy. Thank so people, you. People are going to discount that. Uh, he was on my, he was my, my ace of my all time team draft. Yes, he was. Uh, let's for, go. For those who so listen to that pod, um, that was a tactical mistake by me. Uh, in terms of winning a vote, and I learned from that moving forward, um, because I was so the, pissed. The people sorry, on Twitter I don't mean to cut yeah, you off. No, it's all right. But the people on Twitter just weren't going to vote for Walter Johnson over, say, Pedro Martinez or Greg Maddox or somebody like that. But um, a his statistical track record uh, holds up. He's the greatest pitcher of his era. Um, I think that's backed up by both the the stats track record as well as. Um, like for those who have read the glory of their times, uh, one of the great baseball books of all time, uh, which is basically just old timers telling stories. Um, the took the contemporary account of Walter Johnson was that he was the greatest pitcher of his generation as well. So, uh, that to me feels correct. Um, I would say then that for me, it's a conversation between four other people. Um, as I said, Maddox, uh, Clemens Maddox unit. And I think lefty Grove, if you want to throw another old timey guy in there, uh, a ton of black ink on his baseball reference page, as they like to say. Um, and I think if you want to get like, I know I'm kind of not giving a top three, but I think pitching is particularly difficult and it's a little less clear cut than the hitting side. Uh, I think Pedro has an interesting argument as well as uh, one of the three or four greatest pitchers. He, as we said, he's kind of in that Kershaw mode where He's not going to have the quantity that some of these other guys have um, in terms of innings pitched, in terms of raw strikeout totals, in terms of wins for people who care about that. Uh, but Pedro's peak uh, was as good as any pitcher on this list, really. And, uh, you know, for those who value, hey, I want, I want a, an insane five or six year or seven year run as opposed to, you know, 15 years of a minus pitching. Okay. Then maybe Pedro's your guy, but I think those, those names that I just kind of rattled off are the, are where the conversation begins. And isn't today, is it, it, yeah, it was yesterday. I think it's today. The, the all-star game, uh, 21 years ago today was him striking out the five of the yeah, that six was batters or whatever. That's pretty badass. You don't get many, uh, memorable moments from the all-star game, honestly. Um, and, and that one has sustained. All right, so talking about Hall of Fame stuff, because you're a numbers guy and I'm a Brewers fan, I'm going to try to keep, keep these last few things short and sweet for you. Uh, I want to make my case to you, uh, somebody whose analytical opinion I very much appreciate is Ryan Braun's Hall of Fame. This Famous. is not going to go well. Okay. That's fine. I'm just, I'm just letting you to, know. I, I, totally, I totally agree. I did find some things that I think are going to at least let me stand up. Okay. Stand I'm ready for my mind okay. to be blown on Ryan Brun. Okay. <laughs> Obviously the first knock I'm going to, I'm going to pull the M&M get out ahead of you is okay. the 2011 steroids. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm the last person in the world that gives a shit, know? but yeah, I mean, it doesn't help. Yeah. It doesn't help. Certainly. Certainly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, guy had herpes took, took the wrong cream. It happens. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I think I'd rather, I think I'd rather admit I was a cheater, but yeah. Okay. <laughs> 
it's a toss up. Uh, so, yeah, you know. I mean, it sounds like he was cheating every, every, on and off the field. <laughs> hey, he's a family man with two kids. Don't start, Harrison. Don't start. All right. Anyways, the old crusty baseball writers will probably cancel out the the alleged PED use uh, for him being a career guy uh, staying in Milwaukee for I'm pretty much assumingly the entirety of his career. Uh, so career hitting, he is 298, 360, 533, 893. They're all right on the like edge of what you want of all the benchmarks. Obviously, these last couple of years not being quite it. Um, but also has the factor of uh, some of the most clutch moments that you'll have from recent Milwaukee history, assuming that these teams continue to do what they do and well, I guess any Wisconsin athletics team does and get about as close as you can and tickle the balls as much as possible, edging you right to completion and then letting you down by not letting you finish. Uh, anyways, after that graphicness. Uh, so since 2007, he's fifth in homers, which is the beginning of his career. So as, as seemingly, seemingly as unimportant as that will be because you're cutting off the back end of some very uh, productive – my daughter is agreeing with me apparently, or she's talking shit on him. I can't tell. You're getting you're getting the aggressively mediocre side of what is lecture hall brought to you by Student Union Sports. Anyways, fifth and Homer since 2007 since he's debuted, which obviously you're getting the back end of some guys' careers like Ryan Howard and Prince Fielder, but he's also ahead of guys who are still making their mark, and he's over he's ahead of them by a good margin. Guys like Giancarlo Stanton, which pretty much. According to Jared, they either only strike out or hit homers, which is arguably the truth. Uh, he's fifth in RBIs also in that time. Uh, a similar case can be made for maybe cherry-picking the data at the back end of some guys' careers, but he's also like a, a couple seasons of Miggy and Pujols being retired to really tickling, tickling their numbers in that time span. Uh, he's 67 hits away from 2,000. 67 is also the lowest number of hits he had in his career. And one singular season, which it came in 2013, where he only he played under 100 games. That's the only season where he did that. So it's certainly plausible that given two more seasons or 200 more games, that that's probably possible. Uh, the thing that I think helps my case the most before you absolutely obliterate me, which I'm totally here for, is that – and these you're going to just laugh because I absolutely just cherry-picked the hell out of his career counting stats. You have to. So, you um, have to, Yeah. I know. I had to literally pull anything I could out of the bag. All right. So there are 13 players with these, and you'll have to listen for just a second because it'll go on. All right. 1,900 hits, 1,000 runs, 400 or more doubles, 340 or more homers, 1,100 RBI, and 215 stolen base. So you have the ability to put the ball in play. Uh, you have some speed factor in stolen bases and base running somewhat in runs. Obviously, was hitting ahead of Prince Fielder. You can whatever. I'm gonna I'm gonna let you destroy that argument later. You can. A lot of people are probably neither here nor there on that stat. Doubles just a show of somewhat power. Same thing with the homers number, and then the RBI's ability to drive in. I mean, he's been in a position to do that for most of his career. So 13 guys have ever had put up those counting stats or better. Those names that are also with him, or 12 other names, him being the 13th. Other other people with those numbers, Barry Lamar Bonds, Henry Aaron, Alex Rodriguez, Willie Mays, Reggie Jackson, Gary Sheffield, Dave Winfield, uh, Andre Dawson, 
uh, Carlos Beltran, Alfonso Soriano, Joe Carter, and Larry Walker. A majority of those guys, if not all, are in the hall, correct? I think. Yeah, a, major- a majority. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So all, all considerable players. Uh, also, to go along with that, uh, he has 800 less plate appearances than the next guy, which I believe was uh, – I believe it was either Soriano or Carter. Um, and then – so 800 less plate appearances, which is essentially a season and a half. Uh, on this list, he is fifth in batting average, career batting average, uh, seventh on the list in on-base percentage, so middle of the road, sixth in slugging, and seventh in OPS. Uh, he's the only guy of these people to play to do that with one team. And for what it's worth, 275 is the least amount of games. So the least amount of plate appearances and is 800 behind the next guy. And then the least amount of games and then he would have to play 275 more. Uh, so essentially a season and a third for basic math for putting it all in my head. Uh, then the next guy up, please destroy me. Okay. And, oh, wait, so, wait, wait. One more, one more, one more. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, get it in. Yep, yep. I had to get it in. Uh, of, of those, so including him, of those 13, he would be, he would not rank last. He would actually blows Joe Carter and Sori, he actually doubles up Soriano and like quadruples Joe Carter, which Joe Carter, granted, one of the greatest hits or Joe Carter. Joe Carter wasn't that good. Um, Joe Carter was not that good. Yeah, Alfonso no. Soriano was an absolutely defensive liability, arguably probably worse than Schwarber. And that's just a shot at Cubs fans because fuck the Cubs, go crew. Uh, but <laughs> all right, I think so. He would he so those two didn't even make the list. He he is a, what would be tenth or eleventh on that list in war career war with forty six, which. Probably not going to get to like the magic sixty or like fifty-five to sixty range, which is by by current WAR standards and Hall of Fame players the the magic number. Okay, go ahead. Um, that is certainly a lot of numbers. Um, here's <laughs> the pro- here's the problem though. Here's the problem is that uh, that's that's all cumulative, right? But the trajectory of his career is not so good. Uh, when it comes to the Hall of Fame path. Um, again, his first six seasons, so he debuted, obviously, right out of the cannon in 2007 as a 23-year-old, one rookie of the year, 634 slugging, 34 homers, 15 steals, all that. Um, through his first six seasons, uh, 33.1 wins above replacement. Over his last seven seasons combined, he's at 13.7. So he's basically spent the better part of a decade as a two-ish win player, which is a guy that's useful. It's a guy you want around. Uh, It's not a star-level player. Um, I think that if, even if we remove the PED stuff that is associated with him, which will cause Ryan Braun, I mean, I would be inclined to bet that he gets under 5% in his first time on the ballot and is off. Uh, unless they change the rules, one and done. Um, if we ignore the PED stuff, the history of guys who have superior candidacies to him is not good. Um, and the shape of Andrew Jones's production is different. It was more, oh. it was more defensive based, of course. But we're also talking about the guy who's considered the greatest modern defensive outfielder, center fielder uh, of. 
modern of his era, perhaps of all time. Um, and he certainly had the power, speed, counting numbers that Brian Braun also boasts. And Andrew Jones has had a hell of a time getting even tepid support uh, for the Hall of Fame. Uh, he also suffers from what Ryan Braun has appeared to suffer from, which is uh, becoming or, or falling off as a star level player right around age 29, age 30, which is what happened to Braun. Um, Damn at least if you believe that Brian, uh, Ryan Braun's defensive numbers have slipped dramatically, which I would be inclined to agree with. Um, so that's one thing. That's one guy whose candidacy has not gone well. I think a guy who's a little bit more appropriate comparison is Gary Sheffield. Um, his candidacy has not gone very well either. He also has the PED suspicion attached to him. Um, I, think, I think you can argue that Ryan Braun at his peak was a better player than Gary Sheffield was. I don't know if that's true, but you could certainly argue it. I'll take that. Um, I will take but, that. But he has nothing like the longevity <laughs> Or the, or the quantity of above-average av- seasons that Gary Sheffield boasts. Gary Sheffield also has the, quant- uh, the counting stats at, that we said before that Ryan Braun, uh, would, that would be the basis of his case. Uh, Sheffield has those, and Sheffield's done very poorly uh, in the Hall of Fame vote. And as things stand now, I would be much more inclined to vote for Gary Sheffield than Ryan Braun. Um, then let's not – let's do a comparison. Oh, he's not even done. No, no, no. <laughs> Let's do a comparison with a guy who's active. Do you consider Andrew McCutcheon to be a future Hall of Famer? Ooh, okay. So now here, that, that's Because it's going to be very difficult to make the case for Ryan Braun if you're not also going to put Andrew McCutcheon in. I'm very, I'm very much on the edge because I think that is like an extremely appropriate comparison. And I, kn- I knew you were going to do your research and I should have like, I should have. No, it's all right. I, I don't, I'm not expecting you to know like Andrew McCutcheon's numbers right off the top of your head, but you know, we're talking about I a guy who they're so much similar. Yeah. They have the, they have essentially the exact same uh, adjusted OPS OPS plus for their career. Um, they have almost the exact same wins above replacement mark. Uh, in not the really? same, I'm surprised. Not I'm the surprised same number, that. but a similar number of career plate appearances. Braun's got about 400 more career plate appearances than McCutcheon, and two wins above replacement more. So it's it, they're essentially the same player on a per plate appearance basis. Um, McCutch, uh, McCutcheon has the advantage that he's several years younger. Um, he's coming off obviously a knee surgery, so we'll see how he bounces back. But he is younger. Um, you know, he doesn't have the PED stuff. He has the awards that Braun also has. Um, so, I, to me, McCutcheon is going to be very clearly in the hall of the very good. Um, I don't think his Hall of Fame candidacy is going to be much to talk about. But if you want Ryan Braun in the Hall of Fame, you almost can't argue that Andrew McCutcheon also isn't a Hall of Famer, given that his resume is a lot cleaner. That's fair. That's yeah, that's that's another one. I I, I just you know nice Dave Parker. I would encourage listeners to go look at Dave Parker's Parker. baseball reference page. Um, I know I know what his numbers. Look yeah, like. I would say that uh, bronze bronze statistically was a superior player, but I think yeah. their the shape of their uh, of their careers are not dissimilar. And Dave Parker is a guy who is probably considered one of the more feared hitters for two or three years in his era, but was not a Hall of Famer. I think that's a good way to describe Ryan Braun. Um, 
I can I can handle that. I think. Yeah. So I I think it's, it's really abundantly clear that he's not a Hall of Famer after this discussion. Um, it's just insanely sad that he's gonna be. I I think you can argue the case if you take three thousand hits out of it, you can argue that uh, with his resume of recent, you know, like basic essentially all of the recent Milwaukee Brewer success in the playoffs, which you have to now date back 12 years uh, to go through three or well, four stints of, of playoffs. He has the most arguable, like the greatest hits of all time uh, or the most clutch for sure. Um, and I think that like, while statistic him and Yount are actually a lot closer, like besides that hit and, um, number than than the numbers might appear uh certainly once you look at once once the smart this is the thing is like in milwaukee or in wisconsin having to when i make this argument is a lot of fans that you make this argument with are the older fans that don't under always understand these numbers because it's like trying to teach their children math like algebra it's like we didn't do it limited to do this a kid yeah because they don't look at the per plate appearance type stuff um it's just, I you know he's my guy that I've grown up with. And no, I get it. Provided, I I, I, I totally I understand to, the sentimental favorite. I just like to me from an outsider's perspective, if we're talking about like this era or the last two eras that have kind of melded together of Brewers baseball, like from from a wide angle lens perspective, to me I'm gonna kind of forget about Ryan Braun. I'm gonna I'm gonna remember CC Sabathia's. Uh, putting the team on his shoulders sort of performance down the stretch and, and the beginning of that postseason. I'm going to remember maybe less from the postseason, but more from just er- like to me, I'd rather think about Prince Fielder um, from that offensive era of the Brewers. And then I think Christian Yelich is going to pretty much wipe oh. the memories of Ryan Braun off, off the face of, of this era of Brewers fandom. Like Christian Yelich is a better player. Uh, he is so good. Yeah, he, he's awesome, obviously. Yeah, like batting titles and MVPs, and I think I made the case, and I think you could have easily made the case that he should have been the MVP last year, even with the missed time. Oh, he um, certainly should have, but, but we can, that's a whole other Yeah, game. so I, I, that doesn't really matter. That's more of a subjective thing. Um, the other thing I did want to say about Braun, though, even though I think we've made, you know, this is kind of beating a dead horse at this point, Yeah, is um, – where he ranks on the active list of players in wins above replacement. Like I just like he, he's surrounded by players that are very good, but there are guys that are ahead and behind of him that are just not, these guys are just not hall of famers. Like um, Evan Longoria currently ahead of Ryan Braun, not a hall of famer. Uh, Dustin Pedroia currently ahead of Ryan Braun. Now Pedroia's career is functionally over. Ryan Braun's is not, but uh, Dustin Pedroia ahead of him by, by several uh, you know, John Lester is John Lester a Hall of Famer? I think he's got a more interesting case than uh, Ryan. He's definitely, um, I think, yeah, yeah. I mean, John Lester's got those postseason moments, but historically, his regular season career is not really anywhere near Hall of Fame caliber. Um, yeah, you guys, I think you guys kind of went, you guys went over that, yeah, like, yeah. at the end of the yeah, last yeah, yeah, season I think, with how his fifth numbers, yeah, well, and also just like you know, let, let whatever case Lester has is that he's going to be one of the most important pitchers on two signature world series winners and franchises in general, um, streak breakers, but you know, he's a worse case than Felix Hernandez statistically. And Felix is 
as much as I enjoyed watching him pitch, not going to make the Hall of Fame. I'm, I'm way off on a tangent right now. The point is, is that we could, <laughs> we could do an entire podcast just listing the names of players that are better Hall of Fame candidates than Ryan Braun. And then, I, then we could just spout stats about dozens and dozens of baseball players, and that would be the whole podcast. Oh, I'm going to clip that one for sure. <laughs> love love You're such that. such an asshole here. So. Um, we, awesome. I have before, I, before uh, I assume we're wind, winding yeah, down well, here. I don't know if Hoppa has any more questions. I have sure. two. I, I do yes have no one questions. more after this. I got two yes or no questions. You've kind of already answered one. Are these two guys Hall of Famers, yes or no? You don't need to back it up, just yes or no. Joe Maurer and Dustin no. Pedroia. Uh, yes yeah. and no. Uh, yeah, fuck Joe Maurer, Jay Hay. No. Yes and no would be my, uh, yeah, I, my that answer was, there. That was, I'm a Red Sox fan. I think if uh, Pedroia could have played bent. his entire career and not had – the injuries that he did, he could make a case, and then Joe Maurer is a definite. In my yeah, opinion. and I know you said I didn't have to Joe back Maurer's it up, but definitely the, not a definite. Yes, the, the one thing I want to say about Joe Maurer is that I think people dra- in their heads drastically overstate how many great, high impact offensive catchers there have been in Major League Baseball history. Mm-hmm. Like, there just aren't like there aren't really catchers that spend 15 years catching like that alone and almost get you to the hall of fame by the time you're there. Um, and I know Joe Maurer's catching run was brief by the standards of hall of fame catchers, but it's really, really, really hard to find offensive seasons as good as the ones that he produced. And I'm not just talking about the MVP season, like catchers that put up 400 on base percentage and hit for some level of power and win batting titles, like it doesn't matter if that level of power, it doesn't matter if it only happens for six to eight seasons, like in the catching sphere of things, that's a hall of fame caliber player. Yachty Molina is going to make the hall of fame. And if you compare Yachty and Maurer, I would guess off the top of my head that the three or four best seasons between the two of them all belong to Joe Maurer. I love love how Hoppe's own guest comes over or comes on and <laughs> bends you over. <laughs> All I'm gonna, okay, I you can't like okay, that's get, that can be something we do again because I really hope you come on again and I know we are taking much more than your time than we planned and I am so appreciative. Oh yeah, no problem. It's um, been fun. Like it's so it, it's like truly like my like analytical brains like wet dream. But uh the last thing I will save the Joe Maurer thing for another. Time. Yeah, we can do that next time. Yeah, yeah. I love it. Oh, hey, next time he said next time you can clip that. Yeah, we'll do. All right. Yeah, clip that. That's that's that'll be a promo they love. Yeah. Yeah, everybody loves the next time promo. All right, my last thing is, and I'll try to make it brief, is uh, we got a little bit of beef, uh, if you know what I mean. We're talking cows. Uh, one of the newer segments or podcasts within a podcast, bringing the cheese, yes. which is now a part of starting nine. So Huge I had a little following. bit. Of, I had, yeah, it's insane, honestly. But being from Wisconsin as I am, rural Wisconsin nonetheless, uh, I have to say that your take on Munster cheese in the last episode really grinded my motherfucking gears, man. <laughs> I'm oh, not saying now that is no no so now that is not to say that I think Munster is a top of the line cheese because my okay. palate is much more is much more So what's uh, your beef then? Friendly. 
My beef is that you just like put it down, like you buried it further than you just buried Ryan Braun. But, like, but okay, so if you're acknowledging that it's not a top of the line cheese, and I think I said it was like a what did I say? Forgettable, uh, replacement level, uh, mediocre. I think those are probably words that I use. Yeah. Or that's that that reflects my sentiment on it. What are you disputing then? Then it's a it's versus mediocre in the in the war spectrum where you're talking about a, a you're talking about a, a cheese that is coming off the bench probably producing you a single uh, that one singular value of war All season right. I'm thinking I think it's more of a two and a half to three it's not that bad it's not like like you know I can't even think of a good I mean I'm not like pissed I'm not pissed off if it's on my roster but I tell you like there has never been a time where I've reached them into my cheese drawer and said boy I hope my hand pulls out Munster um, and I'll also say this since you're you're citing your Wisconsin roots I've spent time in Wisconsin I've enjoyed Madison in particular very much yep, uh, and I am and I've repped the cheese curd very hard on starting nine. Okay. So I respect the Wisconsin cheese game and what the state values. I just don't think those values really include Munster cheese. And I don't think for that matter, I don't think anybody's values include Munster cheese. <laughs> as fair as that is, I will, I will, uh, we'll have to take you, you know, you come back to Madison. We'll, we'll take you. God, little, I hope we'll I get back. A little, yeah. Yeah, we'll take. Uh, you know what? You just you let me know if my Twitter ever gets unlocked. Uh, I'll get. <laughs> I'll give you a nice tour. We'll do a little rural Wisconsin. Yeah, used nice to go. Tricks. Used to go for the Halloween little bash that happens in Madison. I don't know if that still Freak happens. Fest? I'm obviously much too old to be doing that kind of stuff now. But um, <laughs> back in the day, that was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, I'm a big Madison fan, and Wisconsin Perfect. in general. Been to some, been to some beautiful lakes in Wisconsin. Great state. More, more lakes than Minnesota. I'm just going to throw that in there. Same with Michigan. More lakes than Minnesota. Wow, Minnesota slander. I don't know anybody from Minnesota, so I'm going to allow it. We just know one Twins fan. He's from Iowa, and we shit on him all the time. So yeah, that sounds that sounds about right. <laughs> well, Jay, hey, I'm gonna wrap this up. You were so generous with your time. I appreciate you putting me in a Ryan Braun coffin. I appreciate you saying you're gonna come on again, and I would love to treat you to some cheese sometime. So you know, invitations always there. Uh, I we love. I love starting nine. Like it's a small, like my seven month old over to my left, who I'm sure. You're, plenty of people have heard during this but thank you so much again and i i i hope there's a season and and there's more uh, great starting nine content to come oh yeah to come with it yeah it was my pleasure thank you for having me on uh i appreciate you guys listening uh to starting nine we value our listenership very much uh so thanks for being a fan and obviously i don't know when you're releasing this but uh we got episode 180 coming out this week so and lots yeah. of cool Tomorrow, shit coming right? in the week. yep yep we'll release tomorrow night. So, uh, lots of cool shit coming in the weeks ahead. Some cool interviews lined up. So be sure to check those out. But yeah, um, we'll do it again. You let me know which, uh, which totally, uh, totally unqualified hall of fame candidate will debate, uh, next time. Oh yes. Let's go. It's going to yeah. be a running thing. I'm excited yeah. for that. Yeah. Dig, <laughs> dig deep, dig deep. Try and Maybe find somebody who crosses the 50 war threshold. 
so I think I think since we see so differently on Maurer, I think we can make him the. Let's just sure. let's. I I've done. I I, I I don't even. Th- my research is already done on Maurer, so that's great. We'll make him the candidate. All right, maybe not. Maybe I'll try to pick somewhere a little more like out west, since you're an Indians guy. I even wore my Indian shorts for this, but I didn't get it. I felt like showing my white. Albert Bell, another better Hall of Fame candidate than Ryan Braun. Thank you for bringing up the Indians. Ah, I mean, all he did was chase some kid down with his car on Halloween, right? <laughs> oh, shit. I didn't know that. Yeah, there yeah. you go. And by There's ML- a story to Google. By MLB standards, <laughs> that's so much better than steroids. Yeah. Yeah, I don't – I think he got suspended for that. Anyway, well, yeah, that's for the listeners to look up. Awesome. Thank you so much. Jay, hey, you have a great rest of your night. And everybody go listen to Starting Nine, the number one baseball podcast in the world. Thanks, guys. Thank you.